Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wilde, TV host by day, sweatpant connoisseur by night, and a health and a life coach always. From hashtag to movement, we believe that loving all sides of you is what's healthy, and healthy is hot. Come hang out as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true and diving deep into how they got to where they are. And the best part, how health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, we don't hold back. There might be swearing, there's definitely gonna be some laughing. And hopefully you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life, to live your healthiest hot life. Brought to you by Clarence. All right, Healthy is Hot community. We've got a very special podcast on. I think this is the first time we've had a podcast about sex and sexual health and all the goodies that are in there. And I couldn't think of a better person than Dr. Just have on for this chat. She's a Toronto-based sexologist with a PhD friends, author, TV personality, podcaster, so many things. Um, she's not only a speaker, she travels the world to engage with people large and small from hosting retreats in the Caribbean to academic conferences in the great white north. And what I love is she puts clients um, and workshop participants at ease with her very gentle humor through subject knowledge and friendly disposition. I've had the chance to attend an event that she hosted, and I was blown away by the massive, massive vulva that you took out and kind of showed us. So I just want to say thank you for teaching this 33-year-old to be a little bit more comfortable talking about vulvas and vaginas and sex. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, so good to be with you. I don't have my vulva today, but next time, next time, I promise to bring it. (laughs) How does one become a sexologist? Like, I'm so curious the path that brought you to where you are today. You know, it was obviously by accident. It wasn't in the plans. As a kid, I wanted to be a clown who made balloons at birthday parties. As a, you know, undergrad, I really probably, I expected to go into law most likely. And then I started volunteering at the sex ed center. Uh, It was the peer, it was called the sexual education and peer counseling center at the University of Toronto and ended up being the co-executive director there. And then I fell into this undergrad in sexual diversity studies. And even after all of that, I moved just into, not just, but into high school teaching. And so I was teaching with the Toronto District School Board. And what happened was I had students coming to me with all sorts of challenges, issues, questions that intersected with sex and identity. So Mm -hmm. unplanned pregnancy, questions around sexual identity, gender identity, sexual orientation, um, folks looking, dealing with abusive relationships, dealing with assault. And what I realized is that even with the preparation that I had, I wasn't equipped to support them. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to school and stay in education and figure out how we can support teachers to deliver information that is so vital, Mm -hmm. as you said, right? It's such an important job. And then, of course, when I graduated, I thought, oh, I'll work for the ministry. I'll be a consultant, you know. But what did I know? Of course, they were like, no, get out of here. (laughs) This sounds like way too much, especially, you know, that was 2010 when I finished my last degree and they just, they weren't ready. And so I didn't get to do the, the teaching side, the academic side that I was hoping for. So I started speaking and I started writing and I got a show in the, I hosted a reality show in the States for Playboy and I started writing books and um, kind of just fell into this by accident out of necessity. Right. And now I, you know, I have my, 
I had prior to COVID, my dream job, because every week I'm just really in a different city, different country, working with different groups. And I love those kind of brief interventions yeah. uh, where you, you, know, you can make this impact. And so I still uh, am focused on education. It's adult education. And then I do volunteer in the schools and I volunteer to train, you know, the teachers and teachers college on sexual health education, because I really do believe that, uh, you know, sex is sex education is more than sex. It's about confidence. It's about body image. It's about communication skills. It's about relationship building. And if we actually develop those skills and equip young people to feel confident uh, and make decisions that feel good for themselves, we change the world, right? Like if you look around how many people in your lives have great relationships, especially intimate relationships, right? But all relationships count, friendships, parent, child, friend, uh, you know, for, for those of us in cultures where, you know, relationships with cousins are so important. Mm-hmm. How many people have great relationships and how many people have the skills to cultivate those? And hopefully that number is going up because, uh, you know, 10 years ago or 11 years ago, wait, is it 2022? So 12 yeah. years ago, <laughs> you know, we erased the last two years, didn't we? 12 yeah. years ago when I graduated, there were so few people in this field and now there are more and more. So I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great sign. And, you know, we have both data and just anecdote from students to tell us that if you are queer, if you are genderqueer, you are, you're really left out of the sex ed curriculum. And so that's where we have to make change. It has to be from day one so that, that people feel included. And, and the thing about, you know, language and inclusivity, which I know is a buzzword right now, is that folks who are in the middle will never even notice that you're using inclusive language. It's those of us who are forced to the margins that notice when you make that effort. And the data shows that the cost of excluding people, excluding trans students, for example, excluding Mm -hmm. queer students from the curriculum uh, and from just generally from uh, creating a supportive environment are astronomical, you know, rates of bullying, rates of self-harm that are tied to that bullying, uh, rates of suicide, rates of assault are higher for folks who are forced to the margins. We've, we've got to do something about it. And that's what we're trying to do. And as you said, we've seen improvements, but we have, we still have a long way to go. Oh my gosh. Your days must be just <laughs> such a variety of things. Like even just listening to you talk, I'm like, shit, Dr. Jess does a lot. Like, you know, I watched you host that event and it was fun and lighthearted. And then you also, you know, deal with really important, but probably difficult conversations. But ultimately at the end of the day, the goal is to help people kind of feel comfortable in their own skin, comfortable in their relationships. And I love that you extrapolated it to not just romantic relationships, relationships across the board um, can really like make or break a quality of life. Sometimes like when you're surrounded by positive, uplifting, empowering, safe relationships, like my God, you can go and thrive at life because you have that support. And I just think it's so important for everyone listening. Like if you're not in a romantic relationship, like this conversation could still be for you because relationships are everywhere. And I like to, um, for myself, especially like remind myself that we have the power to choose the relationships to be and have in our life and we invite. If they're working, amazing. If they're not working, maybe it's a good opportunity to step back, reevaluate, maybe put in a little bit of effort or maybe break ties and move to something a little bit more positive. Is that something you also believe in that like relationships have the power to really impact our quality of life and also that we do have a little bit of power when it comes to them? 
Absolutely. I mean, really, relationships are what determine whether or not we feel satisfied in life. That's what we know, right? Relationships are the key to physical health, mental health, overall life satisfaction. And we do have agency. And I, of course, I want to acknowledge that that agency varies from person to person, right? The more privilege we have, the more we can move in and out of relationships. Um, the more financial access we have, the more we can opt to leave a situation that that doesn't work for us. But you're, you're absolutely right in so much as everybody can we don't have to keep relationships forever. I think that's one of the the myths is that the quality of a relationship is determined by its longevity as opposed to the connection, right? Well, I've been, well, we've, we've had a marriage that's lasted 20 years. Cool. Is it satisfying? Are you fulfilled? Are you happy? Do you lift one another up? Because the mere existence of a relationship is not enough to offer those benefits that you talked about. And and interestingly, we see disparities by gender where the mere existence of a relationship for men in heterosexual relationships is overall good for their quality of life, health, mental health. Uh, For women, the, the mere existence is not enough. It is the quality of the relationship that creates those positive outcomes. And, and that data even is a little bit old. I think that as we see gender roles shift and expectations shift, uh, I think we're going to see that the quality matters regardless of mm-hmm. gender. And of course, that research is all with hetero couples because we lack research with queer couples. So uh, I, I think it's so important that we invest in our relationships. I, I think if there's any investment of time, Uh, Or even money, if it involves, you know, if you have a little bit of money to see a therapist or a counselor, or even just take the time together to work on it using uh, your own self-help tools, I think it is the greatest investment you can make. Oh my gosh. Okay. So when it comes to quality relationships, obviously this differs from person to person to couple to couple, but are there key pillars of a good quality relationship that, you know, if let's say you're listening to this, you're like, oh, maybe I should take a look at you know, pillar one and evaluate like how that's going for me and check in with myself? That's that's a great question. So sometimes we talk about the acronym HER, honesty, equality, respect. So I think those are really at the foundation Mm -hmm. of relationships. Do you feel you can be your honest self? Does that mean you have to be 100% honest and tell them every little thing that comes into your mind? No, of course not. But, you know, is that really at the foundation? Equality, do you feel like you, you are equal? Again, nothing in life is 50-50. You don't have to earn 50-50. You don't have to do 50-50 of the chores. But overall, if you look in from the big picture, kind of pull yourself out, uh, is there a degree of of equality there? And of course, are you honoring each other? So that's really at the the basis. But when we get into the practical nuts and bolts of relationships, I often think that a good place for people to start is with their relational values. So what are the emotional components of the relationship that matter most to you? Uh, What are the spiritual, if that's something that matters to you? What are the sexual? What are the practical? And then what are the interactive or relational elements that matter most? So if you can just start with those questions, and I don't have the answers for you, right? Like for me, um, the emotional element is that, you know, for me, I've been with my partner a long, long time, and I feel um, very, very, very blessed to to be in this relationship. Uh, But For me, the emotional side is knowing that I'm going to have his support, knowing that no matter what comes our way, I know this guy is on my team. Like it just never matters. And I've been doing this with him for a long, long time. Like, you know, I was a high school teacher and I thought, no, I'm going to go back and do do research and sex. And he was like, absolutely. You're going to shine at that. And he wanted to support me in every way. Uh, So that's what matters to me. But for somebody else, the emotional might have to do with, you know, taking it slow because they have 
trauma in their background. The emotional might be, you know what, I, I really need my partner to be in therapy with me because that's what I need for support. And so you have to really define emotional, spiritual, practical, relational, um, sexual. And then for some people, it's about communication styles, really just learning to interact in a way that feels safe. And again, we'll always talk about healthy communication versus unhealthy communication, but that varies from person to person. And that also varies from culture to culture, right? In the Western world, it's all about like, don't raise your voice. And you're, you know, don't communicate when you're angry. Well, you know, I grew up in a household full of love where raising our voices was the norm, right? Like you're not going to get heard. My mom comes from 12 kids. Like she comes from 35 cousins who grew up around the block in Jamaica. You're not gonna be heard if you don't raise your voice. And so we're loud. And when we're angry, we're also loud. So culturally, and I think familially, and also individually, those things vary. And what's most important is that you talk to the people in your lives, whether it's a partner or a friend or another family member about how, what makes you feel safe. And that doesn't mean that a partner has to do everything or somebody has to do everything you're asking. But, you know, in the context of an honest, equal, respectful relationship, they probably want to try to honor your needs. Yeah. Which I'm hearing is it's so important to actually know yourself which probably takes time and lived experience and maybe some mistakes along the way, but it's very hard for your significant other or your friend, like whoever is in that equation of the relationship. It's very hard to be able to know what you want, ideally from a partner or a friend, if you don't know yourself, what you're looking for. That, that's such an important piece. We can't mind read, right? We can't mind read. We also can't fulfill anybody's universal needs, right? That's another big mistake in relationships, mind reading. And then also this expectation that, well, I need to feel this way. Okay. Well, you need to go make yourself feel that way, right? It can't just be on your partner. Sure. Your partner supports you in that. I mean, a big one is body image, right? This notion that our partners need to make us feel sexy and desired. Okay. Absolutely. I I can understand that that's a desire for most people. Having said that, you can't go through life hating on your body and being hard on yourself, having all that negative self-talk and then expecting your partner to undo the damage that you've done. And that also, you know, the world around us has done. We put a lot on our partners and we look at uh, our relationships often from a a deficit model. Like if I'm missing something, it's on my partner to create it in my life. And it really isn't, you know, passion is a big one because I work with couples, you know, who have been together for quite some time and they get along and they have good communication skills and they have nice lives uh, and they're a great team, but they complain that they've lost the path. Passion. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's one partner who's complaining about losing the passion, not the other. And in those scenarios, the partner who doesn't feel the passion is lost often has passion in other areas of their lives. So they're not looking for everything within the relationship. Well, I'm not saying we don't want passion in our relationships. Of course, we want to cultivate that, but we also have to look for other outlets. And uh, I I think that goes along with mind reading this notion that somebody has to not only know what I want, but give me all the things I want. And they can't give you everything you want. It's time for Chloe's Clarence pick of the week. Okay, we are talking about keeping your skin protected all year round. So I'm very excited. I'm heading on a month-long trip to Cape Town where I cannot wait to feel the sun's warmth on my skin, but I need to make sure I'm protected, which is why this week I'm highlighting Clarins UV50 Sunscreen Multi-Protection. So this little cutie protects you against UVA and UVB rays, plus those harmful effects of pollution and oxidative stress. And what I love about this is it goes on really thin. Like it's something you can wear 
whether you're putting on a full face of makeup or you're not. And yes, I'm going on this big trip and I'm going to be wearing a daily because I plan on tanning, but I'm going to do it safely. But this is also a product I like to use in the winter. Friends, sunscreen is not just like a summer only situation. We got to protect our skin all year round. All right, go treat yourself, protect yourself. Let's get back to the chat, shall we? What are some simple ways we can start to kind of dive a little deeper into the world of passion and pleasure? Uh, well, one thing is we need to spend less time together. So overexposure is what has quashed <laughs> passion. I mean, really, you know, every little thing we did with our par- with our partners, right? You, if you were allowed to go for one walk a day, you were going for that one walk a day with your partner. So a really simple things is, you know, go by yourself, meet a friend, especially now where we don't have to, you know, be six feet apart and outdoors and masked and all of those things. I mean, we still have to take precautions, obviously, but definitely think about ways to spend time apart. Um, and then you have to change things up. So when we think about the bedroom, for example, where most of us are having sex in the way that we know works. And that's awesome. It makes us good lovers. We know our own bodies. We know our partner's bodies. But when we know that path to orgasm, we tend to take that same journey. But if you change it up, you're going to discover something new. So for example, if you take the same route to work every single day on, and you're walking, you're not going to find a new coffee shop. You're not going to like stumble into a, a flea market or anything like that on your way home. But if you just change your route, then things get a little bit more exciting, a little bit more interesting. So it's really about injecting novelty. So maybe you stop having sex in the bedroom for a week. Maybe you buy a new toy. Maybe you, you know, study something like learn a little bit of dirty talk. So I'll do a shameless plug here. I host a podcast, the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Go check out the episode on dirty talk because people are so drawn to dirty talk, but also so intimidated by it. So go learn a new skill, Um, definitely. And then the big, I think, most practical thing in relationships is to change your conversation. Stop talking about the mundane. So I call it the triad of mundanity, where you're just talking about your schedules, your families, and your work. And if you have kids, especially. And so we just need to change it up. You know, we see couples, you know, all the experts are saying, have a date night. Okay, you go on date night, but then you're just talking about your kids or you're just talking about your work. Go like, just look up some questions again, like on the podcast, we have lots of options where my husband and I actually go through these conversations and try them together, but ask about past, present, future. Like what was, you know, your biggest regret from your college years, or if you could change one thing about your childhood, what would you change to ask about the present? Like, what are you feeling most excited for right now? Or what are you most fearful of? It doesn't have to be all rainbows and butterflies. Those deep, vulnerable conversations mean so much. And then dream for the future, right? So dopamine, of course, plays this role in pleasure and reward and motivation. And it's the reason why dopamine is one of the, you know, we see this indicator that when you're planning for a vacation, the pleasure actually spikes just as much when you're planning as when you're actually on the vacation. So it's that building anticipation together. Like, what are you going to do when you can go anywhere in the world without restrictions? And this, you know, this uh, pandemic we're dealing with has, has really cooled down. Although I'm in a place right now where they don't, they don't think the pandemic's on, but in Canada, we're still, you know, being careful. So, uh, you know, what are you dreaming about? Like, where do you want to be in 10 years? If money was no issue, what would be your ideal day? Just have those conversations. And what you're doing there is you're kind of getting to know them. Uh, People have this idea that you want to know everything about your partners. You can anticipate all their needs. Okay, that's really great for living together, but it's not great for passion and excitement and attraction. Uh, The reason you were so attracted to them in the beginning was because there was an element of the unknown, curiosity, even fear. And that's the last piece I'll say around passion is that 
we have done so much in our relationships and developed so many strong relationship tools, but we've eliminated risk and fear or we're aiming to, right? And I think this, you know, as we become more aware of our feelings and more emotionally literate, we understand what it is to be anxious, for example. We've worked so hard to eliminate anxiety, but anxiety, a certain degree of normative functional anxiety can be a little exciting, right? Like when you first meet them and you fall in love and you feel those butterflies, that is because of anxiety. That is because of the unknown. That is your digestive tract responding to the unknown. So we need to create some of that. Uh, other ways to do that is, you know, involve spending time with other people. One thing that's really interesting is, you know, your partner in the context of your relationship. But when you see them interact with other people, you get the opportunity to see another side of them. Like that can be very, I mean, even after 20 years with with my partner, I feel so excited just when I see him interacting with other people, because I see a different side of his charm. Like I see a different side of his humor. He's used all his jokes on me. Like he's, he's got new for other people. And I'm, I, you know, just the other night I was watching him uh, with, with some friends and family. And I was like, oh, that, this guy's so funny. Like he's such a storyteller. He's talking about back in the day when he bartended at Fly Nightclub in Toronto and in these little gold Speedo shorts and everyone's bawling, laughing. And if you were to tell me that story, like that's a little funny, but seeing other people yeah. react changes the light in which I see him. So lots of different ideas there, whether it's starting starting news, spending time apart, um, changing something about what you do in the bedroom or outside of the bedroom um, and creating risk and then just being around other people, which so many of us have lacked. And then I think the final thing I have to say is take the pressure off, right? Like if things aren't hot right now, it's okay. If you're not in the mood, it's okay. Just don't let it be the elephant in the room. Talk about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. You're such a fucking boss. I mean, I honestly, no wonder you travel the world talking about this because it's just, it's really inspiring, eye-opening. Like I can't wait to take into practice all of this, especially talking about the triad of mundanity. Like, I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly. Like that's literally my life. I'm like, gosh, what have I, what do Ben and I talk about? Like we talk about finances, we talk about our families, we talk about work. And I'm like, I don't think I've asked him one of those questions in such a long time. And I used to love asking him those questions. And then now, you know, we're just kind of like in our groove and I can't wait to like next time we hang out, be like, so what What's your biggest regret? He's not going to do it. And I can't wait to see like where it goes. Just kind of bringing in a little bit of that curiosity back. And like you said, seeing potentially a different side and just bringing in a little bit more, a little je ne sais quoi into the relationship, you know, which is going to be great. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not even sure I pronounced that triad properly either, but I know that we need to just stop talking about those things. And and sometimes those things are, are necessary, yeah. of course. Um And if you're very excited over your work, I think that can be exciting too. But if your partner doesn't share that passion, uh, so I work with entrepreneurs. Almost all of my um, clients are either entrepreneurs or CEOs just because of the groups I work with. And entrepreneurs, as we know, uh, are very excited about our jobs. Like everything we do is so exciting. But if your partner isn't an entrepreneur, they may not share that same excitement. And so for you, it might feel like it's full of passion, but for them, it might feel like, okay, this again. Uh, can you just focus on me? And that, you know, one other piece that we should really talk about is technoference, the interference of technology in relationships. And so I'm pro-technology. I really am excited and hopeful and moved by the way technology connects us and the presence of these digital devices 
is absolutely quashing connection, attraction, and sex lives. Mm -hmm. And so we just need to be a little bit aware of where our devices are, right? We have evidence showing that the mere presence of a phone or tablet or computer on the table or in your pocket detracts from connection, intimacy, trust, and attraction. So I would challenge everyone to think about how does technology connect us and what message am I sending when I'm you know, scrolling in bed on my phone? Are, is my partner going to feel as though perhaps what's on my phone is more exciting, alluring, important at this time? So if we can make one little change today or this week to the way we use technology, technology and allow it to interfere in our relationships. It can, it can be really helpful. And it's also a really challenging topic. Like it's a topic that couples fight about. Uh, And so I do, I also have a technology discussion on the podcast where we go through and talk about what our expectations are. Like, I know I'm really guilty of this. I'll be on my phone. And then the moment I put it down, I'll give my partner crap for being on his. I'm like, you're on your phone. He's like, you literally were just (laughs) on your phone. And so we need to have these conversations. We have to talk about the big O. We have to talk about orgasms because I know for me growing up, I was very shy to talk about sex. I was very shy to talk about pleasure. So it's really up to you to decide how important it is. Mm-hmm. Some, pe- some people really enjoy sex without orgasm. Some of us don't really want to have sex unless we know we're going to have an orgasm. Uh, certainly, I would say your pleasure is important and you want to have that prioritized. Uh, Yeah, I would say pretty much everyone can learn to have an orgasm, but it's not intuitive necessarily. And even if it is intuitive, I think, unfortunately, in the absence of comprehensive sex education, we turn to porn as our model Mm -hmm. for what sex should look, feel and sound like. And those aren't orgasms. Those are porngasms. They're performative. uh, They're for a visual and partly audio medium. uh, And an orgasm isn't always like, you know, it's not that earth shattering chimpanzee sound. Sometimes it's just ah, big release. Uh, And so I think it's really important that we're able to talk about it, that we're able to explore. Uh, And what I would want people to know is that you give yourself an orgasm. A partner doesn't really give you an orgasm. Of course, a partner can take you there, but there is an element of allowing yourself to relax, to feel deserving of pleasure, to relinquish shame, uh, and to let go. And this is the really hard part. So there's some research suggesting that the part of the brain right behind your left eye, which I'll probably mispronounce, the lateral orbital frontal cortex, shuts down momentarily at the moment of orgasm. So what does that tell us? That tells us we have to let go. We can't be worried about what we look like. We can't be thinking about how long we're taking. We can't be concerned with what our partner is thinking. We can't be thinking about kids or roommates in the next room. We can't be stressed and burdened uh, and thinking about, you know, global issues, oppression, the way our identities are held back in the world. Like when we are burdened with those things, it can be hard to let go. Uh, and so it's not a specific technique, although, you know, I can definitely share some, but there's no universal path to orgasm. It's about, you know, being in your body, being open to pleasure. Uh, and for many of us, it's about knowing our bodies. And so the way most people learn to have an orgasm is on their own, right? It's not necessarily with a partner for folks with vulvas and vaginas. It's not around penetrative sex. Uh, it's often around rubbing and grinding on the outside. And when I was with you, I had my vulva puppet and my vulva puppet has a removable clitoris. And many people believe that the clitoris is that little bump at the top of where the lips meet, that little kind of ball or pearl or pea-like structure. But that's only the tip of the iceberg, right? On the inside, 
there's a shaft, there are legs, the clitoris has bulbs, and they're comprised primarily of our erectile tissue. And so when you rub the outside of your labia, when you rub your pubic mound, you're rubbing the inside of that clitoral complex. And so many of us orgasm from rubbing and grinding and vibing on the outside, as opposed to just putting things on the inside. So part of why the orgasm is so elusive specifically for um, folks with vulvas who have sex with penises is that they're just putting things in and out. Mm -hmm. And that's really not a consistent path to pleasure for many people. Whereas, you know, we have the data showing that, you know, when you have oral, when you have manual, when you use toys, you're far more likely to have an orgasm. And actually, like, I think that, you know, we're in the season where all the sales are on for sex toys. So I think this is a really great time to, to go shopping. I've recently treated myself and friends, treat yourself, treat yourself. Um, I want to just thank you for talking about the the physical part of it, but then also the, it sounds like there's also a very heavy mindful part of it where you talked about being in your body, allowing yourself to relinquish feelings of shame or embarrassment or, or whatever might be consuming your minds, or like you said, world stressors, and just allowing yourself to really be in the present moment, which just immediately I was like, wow, this sounds very mindful. Like, of course there's the physical component of it, but then there's also the mental component. Like giving yourself the space to feel good in that moment and to let go. And it sounds like the two are very important with one another. It's not just one or the other. Absolutely. In fact, you know, we know people who can actually think themselves off, who can fantasize to orgasm without using their hands. And so that that brain is a powerful, powerful, we always talk about it as the most powerful sex organ uh, with good reason. And you're right, it is partly about mindfulness. And of course, mindfulness means different things to different people. For some people, it's about focusing on the sensations in their bodies. For others, it's about a sense of escapism where they're actually fantasizing. I mean, that's another really big piece. If you want to orgasm, tap into your fantasies, right? Give yourself permission to think about anything and everything, even if it's something that would disgust you at noon on a Tuesday when you weren't turned on, because as you become aroused, your inhibitions drop, the adrenaline, the endorphins, the oxytocin flood your body. And not only do your inhibitions drop, but your disgust factor drops. So things that might have been off-putting when you're not aroused start to be very exciting and potentially orgasm inducing. And I'll do another plug. I I do have a course on mindful sex. It's a video course that walks you through, uh, you know, everything from breathing to emotional presence and mindfulness to all these different touch techniques that are non-sexual to train yourself to, to really open up to sexual feelings in your body. Because as you said, like we need to relinquish shame, but I can't just decide today shame is gone, shame be gone, right? Like there's no spray to just spray shame away. And so we, you know, sometimes have to put in a little bit of effort Uh, and I never want to add to the pressure for people, Mm -hmm. right? Like I don't want people to feel like, oh, I have to have all the sex. I have to have the hottest sex. Really you determine how important sex is to you. But having said that, if you're in a relationship, there needs to be, I mean, I don't want to say there needs, but you probably want there to be some balance because you've got kind of one life to live and you want to both feel fulfilled and not held back over the course of the years or the lifetime you spend together. 
Wow. So much to digest here. Um, friends, if you want more of this, go check out Dr. Jess's podcast. We'll make sure to have all the links down below. She's got workshops. She's got her Instagram page. Who knows? Maybe she'll be speaking in a town near you. Um, there's definitely so much value that you have for free. And then also if you want to step it up, you can also do one of her workshops. Um, I can't thank you enough for talking to me about this. I, I can't wait to listen to more of your episodes. I really, really appreciate you coming on. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, 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 who else is feeling fired up and inspired after that chat? Yeah, same here. I can't believe I'm saying this, but just like that, another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast in the books. Once again, I'm your host, Chloe Wild. And look, if you enjoyed this, go ahead and subscribe so you never miss out. Rate and leave us a cute little comment. Follow us on Instagram at Healthy is Hot. And remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. We'll see you next week. Brought to you by Clarence.